Do I need to introduce myself again since we missed last week, right? All of you got a, got a chance to hang out at home just a little bit because of the snow, but I'm Neil Davidson, and it's great to welcome you to our service today. And let me follow up just a little bit on what something Ken mentioned just a minute ago. You know, we, we believe that Sunday morning service is, is a serious time. So next week, we want to try to have some serious fun. So everybody bring their, wear their, their, their best football jersey or whatever you got, right? And one of those great occasions to dig that 1985 AFC championship t-shirt out of the bottom of your drawer and put it on, you know, or, or if you don't have something, I got a sweatshirt or a couple of t-shirts I can loan to you, uh, or just get a white t-shirt and write 12 on it, you know, you'll fit right in, right? And Lou, you can wear your Jets shirt if you want to, but you have to sit in the back. All right, so, and uh, I'm trying to decide whether I should just wear my Slater shirt or whether I should take my signed Adam Vinatieri jersey out of the picture frame and wear that next week. So we'll see. So anyways, and it depends on how much work it is to put it back in the frame. It's probably really going to be the the, the thing. Hey, the other thing, in our handout this morning, um, there's a mention in there that next week we're going to have an in-person missionary report. And, and first of all, I want to alert those who, who participate with us in Facebook Live because of distance, otherwise you can't be here, that there will be a period next time where, we, where we're going to go black. In other words, we just can't present it. Um, so we're not going to be able to record this by audio or with the video because they serve in an unsafe area of the world where Christians are actively persecuted. And because of that, we're not going to be able to do any of that. So for the rest of you who are just kind of using Facebook Live as kind of like a convenience thing instead of having to drive down here or whatever, um, I really encourage you to, to get out and come because you're not going to be able to hear the, hear the story unless you actually have a fanny in the seats, right? So you have to actually be here in person to be able to hear what's going on. And we'd love for you to hear the story as they're going to be with us next week. So um, just so a little explanation about what that's all about. So um, we're continuing with our series on Mark today, and we're going to get into a subject today that, that is really, I think, in many ways, just kind of self-evident as you start reading the scriptures, and that, that following after Christ is, is really an issue of the heart more than anything else. It, it's, it's, it's certainly things that we do, but primarily it's an issue of who we are, what our heart is. I mean, you don't get very far into the New Testament and Jesus kind of blows by all of the behavior stuff and starts talking about the internals, right? He says, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. That's true. But I'm telling you, don't even get angry. That's on the inside, right? He says, you've heard that you should not commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even have a desire that's inappropriate towards somebody else. And he just keeps kind of going with that stuff, right? So he's taking the faith, and it's not just the outside externals, the behavior, but it's the inside. It's a misuse of the heart. And, and so last week, when we, the last time we were together, last week, when we were in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was kind of giving a, a little bit of a verbal slap to his disciples saying, well, you guys are just so hard-hearted, right? You know, you're seeing all the stuff that I'm doing, including feeding the 5,000 with just a small, you know, uh, 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 first century happy meal, if you will. Just, you know, small. And, and yet, somehow or another, you're not applying that to your own circumstances. You're hard-hearted. You're, you're seeing it on the outside, but you're not getting it on the inside. And Jesus picks up with that theme here in Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with Mark chapter 7 with me. If you didn't bring one with you, there should be one right underneath the chair next to you. If not, just push the person next to you out of the way. Grab the one underneath their chair. And, um, and, and if you're using one of these black Bibles, 
that I have out there that's underneath the chair. Our text today is page 852. 852, Mark chapter 7. And so there's several things I want to do today in, in, as we pr- process this. And so let me kind of give you a picture of where we're going. One, I, I'm going to read the text to us. Then after I read the text to us, I want to go back and, and make sure we really understand the dynamics. I mean, part of my goal every single week is for you to walk out that door better understanding the word than when you walked in, right? I want to make you responsible on how you handle the word of God before him by knowing what it is, what it says, and then you can go out and have a conversation with God about how you're going to respond to it. But then in the keeping with our theme in the gospel of Mark, I want to go back through and pick out, and, and, and Mark's got two major agendas as he tells us parts of the life of Jesus. He doesn't tell us everything Jesus did. doesn't tell us everything that he said. But as he works through, he's trying to paint a picture where you and I can absolutely believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's good news. It's gospel. And I want to use this passage to show how Mark does that. But then Mark is also very conscious of the fact that following after Christ is challenging. And there's ways that you can really stumble with that because he did that. And so did the the person that he learned the gospel story from, Peter. And so he goes back and he tries to highlight, if you will, through the dynamics of what we see in the text, some of the challenges that we face in being a faithful follower of Christ. So Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read the first 23 verses. encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. And I'll make a few comments and then I'll back up and explain the big pieces to us. So the Pharisees and the scribes, i.e. religious leaders from, these are, the, these are the religious elite, right? The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They had come from Jerusalem. They had traveled north to the area of the Sea of Galilee, and they had come to check out Jesus for a second time like they had in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 2. They observed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unclean hands, that is, unwashed hands, just like your seven-year-old. Right? You know, they're, they're eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. Whole different reason than hygiene. For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews, will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the tradition of the elders. Mark here is providing some background information for people who don't really understand the ways that the Jews really did things, right? So it says all the Jews will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the tradition of the elders. We're going to come back to what that means. And when they came from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups and jugs and copper utensils and dining couches. And so he's starting to kind of unpack it just a little bit for them. It says, so then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, they asked Jesus, they said, well, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands. So part of their strategy, you know, they've come up to check out the orthodoxy of Jesus. And because of their prior visit, they are already biased, predispositioned against him. But they know that Jesus is popular. I mean, when you feed everybody, right, makes you popular. When you heal people, it makes you popular. So what they want to do is they want to discredit Jesus through his disciples, We want to prove that the tree is bad because the fruit that's coming from it isn't good. And so they looked at, you know, your disciples, 
They're not ritually washing their hands. So when they eat, they're eating, everything they touch becomes defiled. They're eating it that makes them defiled. And therefore, nobody should be listening to you. Why are your disciples eating with unwashed hands? So he answered them, man, I'm glad you caught that. I got to fix this. It's not what he says. He says, Said, he answered them, verse 6, Isaiah, now that's a prophet, one of the big guys from the Old Testament, says Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. Somebody who looked one way but was really another. Says he prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And sing the songs can read the scripture, quote the passages, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. So disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. He also said to them, you completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, right? So Jesus here is... He's, he said, you know, you, you, you are taking the traditions of men and you use those as a basis, a justification before God to actually disobey the command of God. And here's the example of men, right? It says, Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's one of the top 10, right? 10 commandments, right? But halfway down, honor your father and mother. So it may be well with you in the land. It says, honor your father and mother. And it's so important that whoever speaks evil of their father and mother must be put to death. Which is a good reason why my kids should not be alive anymore today. And some of you have had that same experience, right? But, but you know, you, you got to bring some other stuff into it, right? So, but you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban. In other words, it's under an oath. That is a gift committed to the temple you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. We're going to come back to what he's referring to in that in just a moment. But he's saying, you know, here, here it is. Guy's got something. He's made a commitment to God. But the way you understand that puts him in a position where he can't actually honor his mother and his father. One of the primary ways in the ancient world that you honored your parents was you cared for them when they got older. It wasn't nursing homes. It wasn't Social Security. It wasn't Medicare. There all that kind of stuff. So you took care of your family. That's why people had lots of kids. They hoped at least one of them would turn out to do something who could take care of them in their old age, right? And so he said, but now you got around and say, well, you know what? You know what? Sorry, I can't help you. Check down the street. I think there's a soup kitchen down there. They might give you something, you know, because everything I've had, I've committed to God. And I can't help you. Interesting, right? You revoke, verse 13, you revoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. Such as, when you're way on your way up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple and there's a guy who's beaten up on the side of the road, you pass by on the other side because you don't want to get defiled. You know, that's the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You've got lots of other traditions you do. And you, you, man, I can't help him. You know, I get bloody. I'm going to be defiled. I can't do my job. God doesn't want me to miss my job in the temple. So I'll just leave this guy to die on the side of the road. And he'll understand why I don't love my neighbor as myself. 
right? So in many other ways, you do similar things. So summoning the crowd, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Just, just don't listen. Think it through. Understand it. Apply it. Know what I mean. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him. And their heads go, it's like, it, it was like, it'd be like if I said to you today, you know what, getting educated just really is a stupid idea. Don't learn how to read and write. It's just going to screw up your life. How many of you would say, wow, that sounds great. I mean, we'd say, no way. When you say, you know what, what you eat and how you eat it has no impact on who you are spiritually. You're like, what are you talking about? That's like saying learning how to read or write is, is stupid. I mean, it's just, it, it is so out of their worldview. He's just, he, he blows their mind, right? He literally blows their minds, right? And so, but the things that come out of a person, the latter part of verse 15, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So if anyone's got ears to hear, he should listen. So he, he, he's so... So blown up their world, when they get into the house, away from the crowds, the disciples come and they say, you know, what in the world do you mean? We have spent our entire life making sure we didn't eat green beans with bacon in it, right? You know, we, we, we spent our entire lives doing all this stuff, washing just right, whatever, so that when we eat, we don't get anything on the inside because we know on the inside we're pure already. And if we can just keep stuff from the outside from going in, we're not going to screw up that purity and Jesus says, you know, it's on the inside where you're impure. And they're like, you've got to fill in the blanks for us. We don't get it. We don't get it. And so he says to them in verse 18, are you still lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing go in, that going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, right? Well, you know, when you, you, you buy into, bite into that piece of ham, it doesn't travel to your heart. He says it travels to your stomach and it's eliminated. That's why we have indoor plumbing, right? And that's why we have bathrooms, right? It gets eliminated. I don't want to be any more vivid than that. Just let your imagination go, right? So as a result, he made all foods clean. We're going to leave that aside for now, but that's probably a reminiscence of Peter's vision in the book of Acts of the sheet coming down with all the animals on it. And that. It says, it says, then he said, what comes out of a person, that's what defiles him. You see, from within... Not, not what goes in, but from within come evil thoughts. And from evil thoughts, you get sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, lewdness, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within. And those are the things that defile a person. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of behavior. Not that behavior doesn't matter, but it's why you're doing what you're doing. It's a matter of the heart. So let's unpack this just a little bit. This congressional investigation team comes up from the temple in Jerusalem. And they're trying to see if Jesus is orthodox or not. And their suspicion, their guard is already have to say, he, he, he's, he's not, this guy's a danger right? Because he's teaching stuff, he's doing stuff, he's living stuff that's different than everything that we've taught. And so when they get there, they try to go after Jesus, who's still healing people, he's still teaching, he's still drawing crowds, right? And it's hard to argue with that stuff, right? 
And, and you know, you see a blind guy start to see. You see a paralyzed guy start to walk. It's, it's tough to see. And they already try to say, you know, that's, uh, you're doing it of Satan. And he blew that argument out of the water. So they want to come at him now through his disciples. And they say, you know, your disciples, they're unclean. Because they don't wash their hands appropriately before God so that everything they eat is defiled. And so they are defiled from the inside out because of what they put in to themselves with their unclean hands. Now, there's a lot of pieces that fit together here, right? So you got the tradition of the elders and then how this all comes down to, to where we're at. So let, let me unpack some of this. All right. So one of the first things I want you to recognize is that the command to wash your hands ceremonially before you eat is not in the Bible. Not. You could go, go start in Genesis 1-1, get all the way through the end of Deuteronomy. You're not going to see that anywhere. Right? So it was something they inferred from all the other teachings that were in there. And that really started out in a healthy place, meaning that this, this whole thing that he's talking about, the tradition of the elders, actually started to take root when the Israelites returned to the promised land after being in the exile in Babylon, right? When, when, when you know, God, had, they had gotten so far from God, like Isaiah said, they were honoring God with their lips, but their hearts were so far from him that God had passed judgment on them, sent them off into exile. And when they came back into the land, by God's grace, there, used to, there started to be a group of people who said, man, we don't want that ever to happen again. So we need to figure out what it really means to obey God in every circumstance of life. So they started taking the laws that were in the Old Testament, and, and, and roughly there's about a thousand of them, right? There's a lot of them. And they just started building. And pretty soon they went from just having a thick book, right? So, so they, took the, they took the five pages, you know, the five chapters at the beginning, and then they turned it into a whole book, and then they started to have volumes. And before you know, they had the, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, right? You know, it would just t- take shelf after shelf after shelf of all this stuff. And somewhere in the midst of theirs, they looked at all of this, and they thought about, you know, Gentiles and this and that, whatever. They said, you know, this is what you're going to do to stay clean. If you go to the marketplace, you might touch something that's been touched by a Gentile. So when you come home, you have to wash completely. And they would get into these ceremonial baths and they would wash off any of the defilement that might have gotten on them by the, the, um, by the Gentiles. They had everything that they used. He refers to copper utensils and this and that, whatever. Everything had to be purified every time before they used it. And, and if it was an earthen pot and it, you know, made out of like, like basic pottery, mud type stuff, if it got defiled somehow, you had to shatter it. And you had to shatter it so much that not a single piece would hold enough oil to anoint your small toe. This is how exacting they were getting, right? You know, and so what they came up with is then before every meal and between each course in a meal, they said in order to stay clean, and remember, this isn't in the Bible, right? You know, it's not in the Old Testament. Stay clean. You had to wash your hands so that you had to have a vessel that was clean that was filled with water. And then you had to have enough water, at least enough water to fill an eggshell. And what you did is you, you held your hands together and somebody would pour the water over your hands and it had to reach at least down to your wrists and then they would, they would you know, wash their hands like this. And then, because you had the dirty water coming down, you had to turn your hands over and they had to use the exact same amount of water on the other side to let it all run off so the defilement could be washed away. Right? 
And this became a part of what was known as the tradition of the elders. It's an oral tradition at the beginning, and then it started to be written down. It was known as the Mishnah, and some of it found its way into the Talmud as well. And, and it was interesting that, so this teaching of the rabbis started with, we don't want to ever be unfaithful to God again. But then they got to a place where it was so rigid, they actually said that it was more dangerous spiritually to argue or contradict the teaching of the rabbis than it was to contradict the word of God. Right? You get one over the other. And so things started to happen. And Jesus uses an example out of that. You know, he, he says, you know, all right, let's take this chapter, Numbers chapter 30. It talks about giving oaths. You know, back before we had lawyers who could create 19,000 documents for you to borrow $3 from somebody, right? You know, that kind of idea. Basically, your word was your bond, right? You remember the old days? I remember my death. You know, I remember when you could just shake hands and make an agreement. And that was, that was binding, right? So back in those days, it said, you know, the Numbers chapter 30, when before, this is a nomadic people at this point, right? Making their way to the promised land. God said, you know what? You, make, you give your word. You make an oath. You got to keep it. Especially if you make an oath to me. So then it raised some questions, and Moses lays it all out. You got to remember, different time, different world. You know, it's very patriarchal. So what happens? So guys were saying, well, what happens if my wife makes a commitment, but I, as the husband, don't agree with the commitment? Well, they kind of gave you like a 72-hour rescind kind of period of time. You could say, no, 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 we're not going to do what my wife said. Not what you're And you could do the same thing for your teenage daughter, right? And that's what almost the whole chapter deals with. But they had taken these couple of verses, and they had developed this elaborate thing so, so this is kind of where it started. So imagine you come on a Sunday morning and a miracle happens. You're actually moved by one of my sermons, right? You know, and, and so you oh, and you say, you know what? I commit everything I have to God, right? Imagine that. So imagine they have that kind of a synagogue or temple experience, right? Like, oh, they're so moved. And then 20 years later, their parents show up and say, man, we're, we're dying of starvation. We need some help. We just can't take care of ourselves. We can't make our meals. And you say, you know what? I think I'll sell a couple of acres off of the back 50 and hire somebody to take care of my family. And the rabbis would say, no, you can't do that because you committed everything that you had to God. So you can't, you can't help your parents. And, and, and then they got to think, you know what? This is a great way to protect my assets from my parents. Right? Then there's the fleshly stuff, right? You know, I'll just put it in trust with God. I can use it for all this stuff. But when my parents come saying, we need some help, say, hit the road. I gave it all to God. Right? And, and Jesus is saying, this is what you've done. You have taken the tradition of the elders, and now you're using that tradition, that understanding of this passage as a justification to violate the word of God. Right? We say the wow, but... We're going to get around to how we do that today. So, so, and just so, just point those fingers right like there we go. So, and so in the midst of this, Jesus pulls them all in. He says, folks, listen, you are never, ever going to get your journey with God right until you understand that it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what's coming out. You start out impure. And you've got to work on the inside. It's not that you're perfect. It's not that you're pure on the inside and you can somehow mess it up by what you do or what you eat, but you are, you are impure on the inside. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. God's not going to forgive you. That's why I'm here is to provide a means for you to be forgiven for all that stuff. That kind of stuff. It goes in lots of different ways. But you start out in that place. 
He says, you got to say, it's from within that this stuff comes. And until you and I get that right, we can be, we can look like we're so close to God, but we can be so, oh, so far. Right? We're hypocrites, to use Jesus' terms. We can look the part, man. You can sing the song. You can even be in harmony, right? You can quote scripture. You can, you know, you serve a lot. You do all stuff. But until, until when you, <laughs> you and I recognize that, it's not that behavior that makes us close to God. It's where our heart is that makes us close to God. We, we can be these hypocrites who are oh so close, but yet so far. Right? And so it's, it's an incredible thing. So let's unpack this just a little bit using our two filters, all right? So we're shifting gears. Everybody, here we go. All right, we're shifting gears. Now you all drive automatics anyway, so you don't know what I was doing there. Um, how does this passage prove to us that Jesus is the Son of God? Let me give you two things. One, Jesus teaches with authority because he is the authority. He is the son of God. Jesus teaches with authority because he is the authority. He is God's son. He is the lawgiver, right? He is the teacher. And so with that, you know, you got these religious guys that have come up. They've got all the academics. They got the PhDs on the wall. You know, they got the resume that goes, just won't end. They got all that stuff. But Jesus teaches with authority because he is the authority, right? Secondly, this is, again, a part of the case that Mark is building to show why the people of God didn't recognize the Son of God when he was in their midst. Right? One of the biggest critiques was, like, you know, who is Jesus? Not his old people didn't even accept him as the Son of God. Right? So how do you expect us to do that? Mark's saying, this is how you can believe. This is why they rejected him. Right? They were so far from God. Right? And etc. So, so those are the two major points on that. But I want to shift gears here into what does this really say to us about us and our journey in following after God? And here's, here, here, I want to give you just three, three points. I won't say that they're quick points, but I'll try to do them quickly, right? You and I, as we follow after God, we're the kind of people who get up on a Sunday morning, take a shower, and get out to church for 9 or 10.30. Those of us who are in that place, we need to be consciously aware that we can look like we're close to God, but we can really be far from him. Right? We, we, we can, see, one of the ways we do that is we look at our faith and we say Christianity is about behavior modification. And it's not. And, and so when you and I, we show up on a regular basis and we have this idea of, of you know, of, you know, all right, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? On Sunday mornings, you get up, you go to church, whatever. And you got the traditions, of, and we let that be a substitute for actually changing our hearts with inside. You and I can, we can be close to God, at least we look like it, but we can be really far from him. And part of what Mark said, you got to be conscious of the fact. Every single day, as we get up and walk with God, we need to be conscious of the fact that we can look like we're playing the part. We can honor God with our lips, like Isaiah says, but our hearts can be far from him. You know, I had a friend of mine who, who took on the pastorate of a church that really wasn't biblically rooted and got themselves into trouble very early on in their ministry. They actually didn't stay there very long because they made this statement. They said, you know, sitting in a church pew on a Sunday morning 
doesn't make you any more of a Christian than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. Right? And I know that's kind of silly, but you think about it. You can, you can sit in life group. You can sit in this thing. You can memorize scripture. You can offer prayers. And you can still be far from God and commit egregious sins in his eyes. And we've seen it, right? We've, we've experienced it in our own journey. So part of what he said, you've got to be conscious of the fact that we can look like we're close to God, but actually be very far from him. Here's the second truth I really want you to get at. And, and we're going to hang here just for a little bit. We, we need to be mindful that it really is possible and it's really dangerous for us to, to actually be faithful to our convictions and still disobey the word of God. Let me, that's, that's a mouthful, right? So let me say it again, right? You know, I think part of it is we need to be mindful of the fact that we can be doing what we think is right in the eyes of God and using that as an excuse for actually disobeying him. All right, so that's pretty heavy. Let me unpack it a little bit. We see how they were doing that here, right? They were saying, you know what? You, 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 there was a moment where God inspired you and you gave an oath and you gave all that you had to God. And that means you could keep it. You could keep earning a living off of it, all that kind of stuff. But you couldn't take any of that and give it to somebody else in need, including your own parents, because you committed it to God. You're, so therefore, you're doing what's right in the eyes of God. You're keeping your oath but you're neglecting or disobeying the command of God to honor your father and your mother, right? So, so you see that dynamic. Well, how do we do that? Do we do that today? Absolutely. You know, and, and it's part of this. It's one of the reasons why we need to be in this journey together, right? You know, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not trying to depress us, but I'm trying to get us to a place where we really understand. You know, there, there were times, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, my mother's aunts were around all the time, you know, and, and, and they grew up in a time when, you know, Sunday was you go to church, you come home, you have the family meal, you sit in the front porch and nobody talks until it's dark, right? And that was the only way to keep the Sabbath holy. So, man, if you played cards, if you went for a walk, you know, one of them was like, you go to the movies, you know, you, know, so you get all these traditions of men that build up, right? And so there's lots of different ways that this happens in our own lives. So I'm going to give you a few examples, right, that, that stand out. Many years ago, but certainly during my ministry years, there was a small church from the Midwest that made it their practice as, as trying to be prophetic to our culture. They would show up at military funerals and they would hold up signs that were intentionally offensive. They were trying to use shock therapy, right? And they were trying to speak against the drift of our culture and its violation of God's sexual ethics, right? And actually, their signs weren't even biblically correct because God doesn't hate those who violate his, his sexual ethic. He, he hates the violation, but he loves the violator, right? But they were holding up these signs, right? And, and so, and they got all kinds of national attention and all that kind of stuff and et cetera. And they were doing it out of the fact that we're trying to speak truth to our culture. But while they're doing that, there's just, I mean, isn't there a scripture that says you're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Does that sound like they're weeping with those who weep? 
You know what I'm saying? We have the same today. I mean, and, and you know, this may apply to some of you in this room because I, I've seen this in, 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 in some of the social media postings that some of our people have. You know, we, we hold very strong convictions based upon our understanding of the scriptures related to abortion and, and sexual ethics in our society and whatever. And so there's various reactions to news stories and that kind of stuff that people post about. But in the midst of some of that, right, you, you see Christians based upon strong convictions that they're acting on, literally just verbally abuse other people. They are derogatory, defamatory, they're insulting and abusive, and the list just goes on and on and on, right? And, 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 and yet you hear the scripture, you know, Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let anything rotten come out of your mouth, but only that which is good to help a brother in need, Right? And it's supposed to be, and so they can give grace to those who are in need. I'm thinking, that's not giving any grace to a person who's in need. You know, you know and, and, and yet we do that all the time. But we've got to speak for them. And, we're, and yet at the same time, we're violating the very intent of some of those teachings in the scriptures of God. Right? And, and another example. So we know the scripture teaches God hates divorce. Right? That's not a condemnation of any of you in the room who are, because it's not an unforgivable sin and all that kind of good stuff, right? But, but I have dealt with individuals in my ministry journeys who would say, well, you know, I know that God hates divorce, so I'm not going to divorce my spouse, but I'm done with this marriage. I'm not working on it anymore. I'm not going to try to love them anymore. I'm just done, but I'm not going to divorce them, right? I'm going to follow what the scripture says, right? Quote, unquote. But... I'm not working at this anymore. I'm done. And yet, really, I mean, the act of divorce, dividing things up legally, I mean, that's a tradition of men, right? But in their hearts, they've already divorced them already, right? Because the scripture says you're supposed to go all in, right? Love, you're supposed to love your wife as you, Christ loves the church, right? You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be all in to bless and curse, whatever. And yet, somehow or another, we say, well, you know, I'm okay, with God, because I haven't divorced them, even though in our hearts we've checked out a long time ago. You getting the idea of how we do some of this stuff, right? I mean, I got an email this week from somebody in response to my column says, you know, processing with, with some friends over coffee, what, what you talked about, said, yeah, you know, it's the same thing. You know, some of the, some of the people who, who are serious about their Christian faith are the most sharp-tongued, mean-spirited people in the way they talk about others because they have all different views in them. Right? And, and so we, we take the traditions of men, right? We, we can use honoring God as a pretext for actually violating the intent of God. Is that, is that making any sense? Yeah. And, and it comes back to the fact that, that it's what's on the inside, not what's on the outside, you know, and it's about character transformation, and that's really my third point. You and I need to never forget that this journey that we're on isn't about behavior modifications, it's about inner transformation. It's about becoming Christ-like, right? It's about becoming Christ-like, and, 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 and sometimes I think we substitute our, our, our spiritual habits in place of, and so I, I use this example in the first service, right? You know, when, when I was in high school, you know, there were, I mean, I always went to church. My family took me to church, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it, there, were, there were certain seasons, especially earlier in high school, where, where kind of 
being serious about my faith wasn't really something that was important to me. It was more about fitting in and achieving, especially in the athletic world. So I, I, was, I was playing on a football and lacrosse team. And like almost like everybody else in the team, foul language just, was just a part of the journey, right? You know, you, you, you got beat, you know, by somebody one-on-one on lacrosse or you missed a tackle or whatever. You just swore. You know, right? You know, F this, S that, that kind of stuff, right? I don't know if you can say that from the pulpit. Maybe we should delete that later, Rick. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, but then I got, and then when I started think, taking my faith seriously, I was thinking, man, I got to stop doing that, right? And, 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 and it took a journey, but I got to a place where I stopped saying that stuff. And I was like, yes. But I'm thinking, then a little later in my journey, I'm saying, yeah, but I'm still thinking that stuff. I'm not saying it, but I'm just still thinking it. You know, and then you read a passage like this, and you're saying, not so much like this anymore. It's like, oh, no. You know, and, and we, some of we do this. So I've, I've managed, you know. So some of us have sharp tongues. They get extra sharp when we're angry, right? And some of us have more willpower than others, and we can actually get to a place where we control our tongues. But sometimes the inside's getting even worse. Right? You know, we're not expressing it, so we're not letting the pressure out, right? <laughs> so the pressure's building up. We're just, we're angry. We're bitter. You know, but, but, you know, God, I'm not saying anything anymore. You know, like, and, and, and that's not what it's about. It's about character transformation. I'm not saying the behavior doesn't matter because the behavior can take us down paths, create challenges we don't want. It's like a slinky can just kind of keep going downhill kind of idea and drag us with it. But that's not enough. It's not what you put in. It's not what you do. It's why it comes out that matters. It's about character transformation, right? And, and uh, you know, we, we talked about some of this stuff just a little bit in my life group on Wednesday night. And, and I got an email from one of the guys in our group this week. And, and you know, and I don't think he put it any better. You know, he said, he, he, part of it, he said, you know, I'm, I, I may not be the brightest guy. And I'm not sure I can say all this with all this. He says, but I got to tell you, when I wake up in the morning, the prayer that I pray is this. He says, Lord, I just want to be a better person today than I was yesterday. And that's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we listen to the Spirit and bring conviction to our lives. It's why we serve. It's why we go to church. It's why we fellowship with others. And you go right on down the list. We do all of that stuff because we want to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday. And it's not just about what we do. It's about who we are. And, and here's the promise at the end of that journey, right? This is the promise that Jesus gives us. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they're the ones who are going to see God. When you and I refuse to give in to our traditions and allow what we, what we believe to be a a cover, if you will, for disobedience, but we really let God begin to change us from the inside out, when we really are changed in our hearts, we get to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May we all be pure in heart as we seek after God. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray today that the things that you've engaged us with this week and last when we were together, uh, Father, that the dialogue would just continue. This is not the kind of thing where we write a couple of notes, tuck it into the back of our Bibles, and we're done with it. But this is a conversation that needs to go on day by day in ourselves and among ourselves. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would continue the conversation. That what's in would come to reflect who you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.